0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620.
1: And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, let's start off on a positive note, then I'm going to put you to work. But uh, all this week... We're rolling out our Wagner's Christmas Wish List giveaway. And it's kind of like a variation. Our marketing people have said, oh, instead of just giving away gift certificates to caller number 12... Let's have a little bit of fun. So um, what we are doing all week long, we're, we're rolling out our version kind of of the price is right. Um, we're asking you, you can go to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com backslash 620 WTMJ. And we are going to be featuring various holiday treats. And so all week long, we're going to be asking you to guess the average price to purchase the ingredients for your favorite holiday treats. Whoever's closest without going over. Wins a gift card to Cedar Crest Ice Cream. First up. Had one of these over the weekend. Gru and I were talking about it last week. I said, I don't think I'd ever had one. Well, I took care of that. First up is the classic Tom and Jerry, which includes the fabulous mix from Cedar Crest ice cream, your personal favorite favorite brandy and rum, a little bit of milk and nutmeg nutmeg to top it off. In any event, you can go to Facebook, leave your guesses in the comments section. You have until 2 o'clock to do that. And uh, whoever is closest to all the costs of the ingredients without going over, well, wins a gift card to Cedar Crest Ice Cream. And we'll be doing that all week as part of the um, Wagner Holiday Wish List. How cool is that? Okay, I want to share with you a story as it appears in the Journal Sentinel. And I'm going to ask you at the end of this, what, if anything, you notice about this? I mean, what, what jumps out at you? All right, here's the headline. Charges. Following pursuit, man said gun fired accidentally, prompting officer to fire five shots at him. An 18-year-old man in a standoff with police said his gun accidentally fired when he tried to throw it to officers prompting an officer to fire five shots at him, prosecutors said. Prosecutors on Friday charged Nathaniel J. Lewick of Milwaukee with five counts related to the Saturday evening car chase and foot pursuit that ended with gunfire but no injuries. Milwaukee County Court Commissioner Maria Dorsey ordered Lewick held on $1,000 cash bond and ordered him not to possess dangerous weapons and not to drive without a license. He is charged... With first and second degree, recklessly endangering safety with the use of a firearm, driving a stolen vehicle, and fleeing and obstructing an officer. According to the criminal complaint, about 6 p.m. Saturday, this about this would have been last Saturday, two officers tried to pull over the stolen Kia Lewick was driving, but he sped away. So cops see this guy. He's in a stolen car. They try to pull him over. He drives away. As officers pursued him... Lewick ran six stop signs, one red light, drove the wrong way down two one-way streets, and drove through several alleys, reaching speeds over 60 miles an hour. So let's review the bidding on this. Cops see the guy driving a stolen car. They try to pull him over. He takes off. Runs six stop signs, one red light, drives the wrong way down two one-way streets, drives through several alleys, reaching speeds of over 60, 60 miles an hour. The officers lost sight of the vehicle, but two other officers spotted it a minute later and started another pursuit. Lewick crashed the Kia in an alley between Grant Street and North 41st Street, and three people got out of the car and ran. As officers chased him after him on foot, they noticed he had a handgun and yelled for him to drop it. Lewick then held uh, hid behind a large bush near forty thirteen West Center Streets and uh, officer the uh, police officer once again ordered him to drop his gun several times. Officer Jopp then heard a single gunshot and observed a muzzle flash from the location of the suspect. Then Jopp fired five shots at Lewick. Neither person was injured. Police arrested Lewick as well as a 16-year-old boy who was a passenger in the Kia. In an interview with police, Lewick said the gun discharged when he was trying to throw it to the officer. Um, If convicted of all charges, Lewick faces up to 30 years in prison, etc. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There are a number of interesting aspects to this story, but I guess the one I'd like to talk with you about first is perhaps the most dazzling detail of all, which to me underscores, uh, again, why crime is so out of control in this community. Okay, so let's review the bidding. You've got the punk who, with a couple of his punk thug buddies, driving the stolen car. Police try to pull them over. Instead of pulling over, they run. So you've got um, six stop signs, one red light, driving the wrong way down one-way streets. Eventually, they, they lose the first set of cops. Second set of cops see them. They take off again until they crash the car, at which point in time three people get out of the car and run. The driver of the stolen car has a gun on him. He hides in a bush, and a shot is fired. The police are chasing him, saying, drop the gun, drop the gun. Guy runs behind a bush, and a shot is fired. Now, the story being told by the car theft punk thug is, oh, I was trying to throw the gun out, and it it just kind of went off. Well, that's his story, and it might be true. It might also be that he fired a shot at the cops, and the cops then returned fire, at which point in time that the kid surrendered. But but regardless, got the gun, shot is fired in the direction of the police. He is taken into custody. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, there's a lot of stunning details about this, but the most stunning detail to me is found early on in the story. Milwaukee County Circuit Court Commissioner Maria Dorsey ordered Lewick held on a $1,000 cash bond and ordered him not to possess dangerous weapons and not to drive without a license. So, I mean, presumably the guy in the stolen car, I I infer from that that he didn't have a license either. Um, Okay, so you're driving a stolen car, you flee from police, lead them on a high-speed chase, crash the car... Get out, run from the cops, and you're carrying a gun, and there is an exchange of gunfire, whether you shoot at the police or whether you're throwing the gun off out and it accidentally goes off. There is an exchange of gunfire, and you're out on a $1,000 bail. With the instruction, don't possess dangerous weapons and don't drive without a license. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How in the world do you set a $1,000 bail on a situation like this? All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. Welcome
2: back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You want proof that the court system is going mad down here in southeastern Wisconsin. This is the classic example of it. week ago Saturday, you get some 18-year-old punk driving a stolen car with a couple of his punk buddies in the car. The cops try to pull it over. He runs from them. There is a high-speed chase through multiple red lights, running red lights, uh, going down alleys, going the wrong way on one-way streets. Finally, the, the police lose the car. Police see it again a couple minutes later, pick up the chase. The guy takes off again, crashes the car. He and his thug buddies get out. They all start scrambling. The driver of the car has a gun And at some point in time, the kid... He's 18 years old, not a kid, hides behind a bush and fires a shot at a police officer who's chasing him, yelling, drop the gun. The kid's story after being arrested is, well, I was trying to throw the gun off and, and gee, it just went off. The dog ate my homework. Um, He surrenders after the police return fire. The court commissioner, name is Maria Dorsey, orders him held on $1,000 bail and tells him, Okay, you're not supposed to possess dangerous weapons, and don't drive without a license. Have we gone nuts? What do you have to do to get $2,000 bail? You're in a stolen car. You flee from the cops. Um, you're carrying a gun, and it, depending on how you want to interpret it, it goes off, or you shoot at the police, and it's $1,000 bail, and we send this guy back out on the street? Matt in Oak Creek. Matt, you're on WTMJ.
3: You know, listening to this story, Jeff, just kind of makes my blood boil over and over again due to the multiple felonies that were basically, that basically happened throughout this entire ordeal. How many victims or potential victims could have been You know, the result of reckless driving, crashing someone else's property, shooting at a cop, like all these things that are happening. You telling somebody that they need a driver's license (laughs) to drive a car or not to shoot at the police is a given. That does not have to be something that the courts need to be, you know, (laughs) conveying to people as if they don't know not to mention you said a thousand dollar bond all this does is tell everybody else out there that wants to commit crimes like this that you will be able to do it and basically be back on the street the same day
1: but Matt, what she she ordered him don't drive without a license you know or else you can get in even more trouble
3: Yeah, and it's just—it's just crazy. Does she have to tell them not to steal cars too, right.
1: or, or carry if guns, or shoot at cops in the morning?
3: I don't understand.
1: No, thank, thank, well, but th- this is this is the ongoing frustration. Um, that is out there. Jeff, as, you, as soon as you started explaining the situation, I knew where you were going. I'm a retired police officer with 30 years on the job. I'm pretty confident the majority of us would absolutely agree with you. A thousand dollars bond? Seriously? Um, Jeff, I'd throw the book at him. He was doing exactly what the judge had told him not to do. So he's lucky he's in the process of all the law-breaking he did. He didn't hurt somebody. I have a son who's getting ready to turn 18, and one of the things that friends moms and I say is this is the scary part of turning 18 now you're officially an adult and you should have the uh, carry the behaviors Jeff are you kidding me I got a disorderly conduct charge for yelling and my bond was seven hundred and fifty dollars yep so I guess that's the message. In Milwaukee County, well, you don't, don't, don't do not don't the thing for for yelling. I mean, you might as well go all the way, carry the gun, shoot at the cops, steal the police, steal the car. Try, and I, he's not charged with stealing the car. He was driving a stolen car. But lead the cops on a high-speed chase. Jeff, only a $1,000? Maybe I should get into the carjacking business. I'm only kidding. No, I knew you were kidding. I, I've understood that. Um, Jeff, I've never heard a cop say, throw me your gun. I've always heard – yeah, that's right. They always say, um, you know, drop the gun. Jeff, um, if I did the same thing as a 54-year-old guy in Kenosha where I live, I would be behind bars with a cash bail a whole lot more than one thousand dollars yep Jeff a thousand dollars cash bond how about two million dollars like Kyle Rittenhouse um, which of these two is a greater threat to society Jeff it's a shame that um, okay' so we're talking about the accidental discharge Jeff a thousand dollar bail puts society at risk it is absolutely absurd Jeff yeah, I didn't mean to shoot at the police. The dog ate my homework. Well, there is a lot of that going on. But see, here here's the thing. And the reason I bring this up is this is the type of stuff that, that goes on on a regular basis. And this is it, it's all part of the catch and release thing. If this guy was 16, like his punk buddy who ran, the juvenile, you would never even hear about this. This would be something that would be undoubtedly swept under the rug, handled in juvenile court where you don't even see a a record of this. And the kid would probably, if he was 16 instead of 18, be be sent back to, to mom and dad and told, well, don't steal cars and don't carry guns and don't shoot at cops and things like that. But the problem is, and we're going to be talking about crime a lot during today's program and this week because it is incredibly out of control. I don't know if you saw, but if anybody thinks that the upcoming holiday season is slowing down the tidal wave of violence in Milwaukee, well, all you got to do is turn on the television news or listen to the radio news, and you're going to get a completely different story. But part of the problem is this. I mean, you have police officers that put their lives on the line in order to catch guys like this, and then you have a court system which just... Turns them loose, I mean seriously, um, Jeff, what a kid is a text? What a kick in the face to the arresting officers. Well, it is a frustration. You talk to the rank and file police officers, and that's what they'll tell you they 'll say we put our lives on the line, trying to apprehend these people, and this is then what happens. you've got a court system that to call it a revolving door court system would be to insult revolving doors, um, you know, period, you know, case closed. So that's it. Jeff, it's infuriating to me that the judge only put down that punishment because those officers put themselves at risk over and over again while this kid continued to break the law and they didn't give up. This could have turned out much differently. What if the 18-year-old in the process would have been shot? Would we be talking about how different than that? Or what if he shot a police officer? Well, he, he shot... He shot at the police officer. Um, No question about it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more in just a minute. But if you want to understand the frustration that you have with trying to keep uh, crime under control in this community, you just look that even when you catch them, you've got a court system that is in a mad rush to turn them loose. All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Oh, And and by the way, if for some reason you thought that it was going to get a little safer to travel the mean streets of Milwaukee, the city of, or even the county... N- not so much so. I mean, the big story over the weekend before last was former county executive Chris Abley driving essentially at the corner of Shorewood uh, in Shorewood at the corner of Capitol and Oakland, getting pulled over and carjacked at gunpoint. Uh, as far as I know, the people who did that are still at large. Uh, the The good thing is that. Chris um, Abley was not hurt the bad thing the funny thing is that the carjackers didn't know how to drive his high-end BMW so that they, they, they weren't able to get away with it but this shows it is dangerous everywhere we are on pace to set a record for homicides in both the city of Milwaukee and in Milwaukee County I mean seriously you're, you're gonna have to go back 30 plus years at least in the city to find these number of homicides and if you haven't been paying attention a bloody weekend in Milwaukee. Um, let's see. Yesterday, you had a 38-year-old man, who 33-year-old man, who was shot about 11.48 p.m. in the 500 block of East Keefe. The man was in an argument with somebody when multiple shots were heard. Then the day before that, you had two murders. 17-year-old girl killed during a party at her home. Then a 24-year-old man killed um, leaving a bar near the... The third Ward, he was coming out of a bar at 325 a.m. in the 200 block of Buffalo Street right by all those high-end fancy condos and things like that. And there were several non-fatal shootings as well. The, the bottom line is, here, here's the truth. While they talk about defunding the police, while they talk about cutting police spots, while we talk about, well, we, what we need to do is we need to figure out ways to be more touchy-feely, Milwaukee is a killing field. And I understand that the mayor and the common council want to pretend that this is not going on, but their response right now is let's take cops off the street without recognizing that you've got bodies dropping right and left with record sort of violence. Defunding or reducing the police department is irresponsible in the extreme. Pandering to some political crowd over the safety of people who live in the city of Milwaukee or drive in Milwaukee County is absolutely unacceptable. But that's where we are now. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. And with that commercial from John McGivern, it's an opportunity for me to remind you, this week we're rolling out the Wagner Christmas Wish List Giveaway. And um, what you can do is you can go to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. And, for example, today we are featuring that Cedar Crest Tom and Jerry mix together with all the other trappings. Um, It's a Price is Right competition. Whoever comes closest to guessing the cost of all the different ingredients without going over, gets a gift certificate from Cedar Crest ice cream. It's all part of the wish list. Okay. Now, we were talking about, you know, crime and how out of control it is in Milwaukee County, and that is that that is not a surprise. Unfortunately, you have elected officials who just sit by and and watch, figuratively speaking, the community burn and people die, and everybody wrings their hands and then says, let's cut the police budget by 20%. Oh, really good idea. But crime is is not confined to southeastern Wisconsin. And here's a story that I, I admit really it it struck me a, as an animal lover all right It's just it it really struck me Now I understand that we've just come off the, the deer hunting season and I, I understand that the deer hunting is is big in Wisconsin. It's a huge activity. And I understand that, that for example, going out and, and harvesting deer is important because if you don't have deer that are killed, what happens is you have an overpopulation and that leads to problems and things like that. But there is responsible hunting. And I wouldn't be willing to guess that if you are listening to me and you've been a hunter for years and years, you, you understand responsible hunting and you understand the rules, et cetera. Which brings me to a story out of Clark County. If you, you don't know where Clark County is, it's s- slightly north central Wisconsin. Um, Eau Claire County is to the west. Marathon County, which is, um, Wausau, that's to the east. Chippewa County is to the northwest um wood county um is to the the southeast so you 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 get the idea so it's a kind of the you've got the wisconsin rapids and you've got um eau claire, eau claire on one side wisconsin rapids and kind of wausau on the other side and clark county it is a rural county here's get this this is the story in early november the authorities started finding all these dead animals Um, Just left. And here's what they're saying. Two separate groups of juveniles from several Clark County communities are responsible for killing more than 40 deer and a horse, according to the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. In early November, people started reporting large numbers of deer being shot and left behind. So then they bring in the DNR wardens and the Clark County Sheriff's Office, and what they were able to figure out is there were two groups of juveniles who were responsible for a large number of the deer shootings. And what they would do is they would shine the deer. The juveniles would spotlight the deer in fields at night, They would shoot them, and then they would leave the deer in the fields. Um, During one incident, someone shot and killed a privately owned horse. And according to authorities, they knew that they were killing the horse, too. So you've got these, these punks that are out there, they're shining deer in fields, and then they decide we're going to kill a horse as well. The DNR calls these shootings thrill kills and say, you know, no ethical hunter would do this. Um, The the DNR spokesman says it's not hunting. These young males had no regard for what they were doing or what was behind their targets. Wardens are right now working to compile all the information and all all that they've gathered, Once that's done, they'll meet with Clark County District Attorney, and a decision will be made on how to charge the juveniles. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Okay, so the the important part in that story is at the end. They're going to get together, and they're going to decide how to charge the juveniles, which means do we treat them as kids, that this was just some lark, and they were out there slaughtering animals. And that's what they were doing, shining deer, slaughter And it's not even like they were taking them for food or anything. These punks were killing deer simply for the fun of shooting deer and leaving them behind. And this wasn't an isolated thing. It's not like, oh, there's one or two. 40 deer and, and a privately owned horse that was in a field were, were murdered, were slaughtered by these punks. And so now what they're going to be deciding to do is, do we treat these, is, is this just sort of this harmless thing? Do we treat this as, these are juveniles? Or, or do we consider treating these people as adults? 855-616-1620, that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I am outraged when I hear about the loss of life down here in Southeastern Wisconsin on a regular basis. But I will tell you something, I am outraged as well that you have these juvenile punks that are driving around, in this case Clark County, that are slaughtering, slaughtering animals in this particular fashion. I don't consider it's obviously not sport. Secondly, I wonder if there's something psychological going on here. I mean, because a lot of times, and I don't mean to overanalyze stuff, but a lot of times it's people that torture animals and do these things to animals end up being extremely dangerous when it comes to humans. Regardless, though, I don't see this as some sort of harmless childlike prank. I see this as adult crime that needs to be treated accordingly. 855-616-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Youthful prank or something much more than that. 855-616-1620. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with your calls in just a moment.
3: Back
0: to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: 855-616-1620. Here's a text. Jeff, charge them as adults take away their hunting privileges for life and their ability to own a gun for life make them pay restitution for the horse fine them upwards of $10,000 and send them to prison with mandated mental health counseling this isn't something normal teenagers do you know the, the last line in particular and maybe that's really why i'm reacting so viscerally to this I, look I, I okay i grew up in in southeastern wisconsin i grew up in an urban area okay but but this This just does not flat out strike me as something that a norm, I don't care whether you grew up in a rural area, an urban area, going out and slaughtering deer just for the thrill of killing them. And they also shoot a horse. But you the idea, they're out there on multiple nights with the idea of trying to massacre animals and just leave them. This just does not strike me as something that normal teenagers would do. Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jim. This is
4: disgusting. It turns my stomach. And uh, I, I believe, well, you stole some of my thunder because uh, you are right that often serial killers uh, wind up, uh, you find out that they killed and tortured animals before they went after people.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't yeah, want to yeah. over over analyze this, but this I mean, Jim, this is this is just not something that that a normal I don't know how old the juveniles are. This is something not something a normal 15 or 16 or 17 year old would do, is it? I mean, it it just doesn't strike me uh, no. as bad well Yeah.
4: No, and, and and three quick points. One, I think they'll probably get a slap on the wrist. That's maybe being too cynical, but I think they'll probably get a slap on the wrist. Number two, um i read in the uh, article that this happens like once a year. This happens like every year, uh, or on a regular basis. And, mm-hmm. and number three, do you think that they should be charged uh, as adults? And also, should this be charged as a felony?
1: Yes. Yes. and Yes. No. No. Yeah. I'd throw. If, if it were me, I'd throw the book at them. I mean, it's if this were if this were one or two, and I, and and some people might even disagree with. But if this were one or two, deer, I, I could you, you could maybe this is 40. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the, yeah. these are gangs that are out there with the idea of massacring these animals. Now, I, now thanks. For, to answer your question, I it's 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 not I and you, you if you could you wanted to argue with me and say, well, what's the difference between one and 40? I, I understand. But. One you might be able to explain is, oh, this kind of spontaneous thing that, oh, we just got kind of caught up in this and, and we're really sorry. But when, when you do it, when you kill 40 deer in this fashion, shine them in this fashion, and then just slaughter them, and that's what happened. That 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 is a whole different level of intent. So, yeah, I, I'd throw the book at them. Let's talk to Doug and Go, Doug, you're on WTMJ.
3: How long does it go? before the thrill is gone out of killing animals and they want to move up to something more thrilling. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. You've got to get this. You've got to get them a record because the problem with I don't agree with our juvenile system where when you turn 18, you get a clean slate. Uh, I believe that you should get a clean slate as long as you don't commit any more crimes. Once you commit crimes as an adult, we need to bring that slate back so we can see what you've done in the past, so right. some, have some kind of history. But you you know, and you, again, you spoke, most serial killers start out killing animals and then mm. move up to the big leagues and start killing people. So it's only a matter of time. And we need to get these people on
1: record. Yeah, on record. Th- for them to possess firearms. Right. Right. Yeah, I just—I mean, thanks for—I mean, I look—I—I I, I don't even want to make this a rural, rural, urban thing. I guess I'm—I'm wondering—is there some different way that this is approached? And Jeff, you don't understand this because you're a city boy and you grew up in these urban areas, and but—but but I don't think it's that case. I mean, my my guess is whether you grew up in a, in a rural community outside of Green Bay or whether you grew up in Milwaukee, you understand that you don't go out and and just randomly slaughter. Animals in, in this type of, of fashion. Um, all right, we're joined right now by Milwaukee County Circuit Judge David Borowski. Judge, good afternoon.
4: Afternoon, Jeff. How are you?
1: Real well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Now, this is Clark County, not Milwaukee County.
4: Right, it's, it's Clark County. It's not going to be my case. I'm nowhere near Clark County. But as you know, there's a number of layers to it. First of all, uh, you're presuming, uh, and I think your audience is, that they're going to be charged. Okay, first of all, the DA up there has to decide if he or she is going to charge them. The second question is, are they charged as juveniles or adults? The decision's obviously for Clark County, but I will tell you, in my experience, I agree with you and, and some of your other callers, that's a very, very serious set of offenses. Mm-hmm. Um, one deer, as you said, that might be something along the lines of a prank Though I'm old enough to think that a prank is, you know, egging your neighbor's uh, front right. window,
1: <laughs> right, or throwing you some toilet paper or... into the into the front yard or something like that, yeah,
4: right. That that that's a prank. When you kill thirty or forty animals, it had to be over the course of days and days and days. That's a sign of some very serious, significant, deep-seated, most yeah. likely deep-seated psychological issues that need to be dealt with. And if it's not dealt with appropriately, I can guarantee you that person or persons is going to be back in the criminal justice system doing something worse.
1: So judge, this just does not strike you as as normal behavior, urban, rural, whatever. This this is aberrant, right?
4: It's very aberrant. and, And I've been in children's court and I've been in felony courts. It's extremely aberrant. I mean, whether that was, I mean, if you're a city guy as I am, okay, let's say that was eight or 10 or 12 dogs. It's not very different from that. It's very, very aberrant. And the earlier you intervene, And Mm -hmm. intervene seriously and significantly, uh, the better hope you have for avoiding a lifelong issue.
1: Yeah, Judge David Borowski, Milwaukee County Circuit Judge. Thanks so much for joining us. I just this one hit me, you know, hit me kind of hard. And I understand I don't live in Clark County. It's it's two thirds the way around the state. But but this this is the type of like really weird, sick. Aberrant to use that word behavior that that I think should be sending up all sorts of red flags. again, I don't I don't know how young the, the kids are, but I mean th- this is wrong on so many different levels. Jeff, killing animals for harvest is natural and healthy. Killing animals for sport is sick and disturbing. Uh, to mention nothing of underage possession of a firearm. And I don't even know. I mean, th- th- this is not this is not sport. I, I mean, it's they shine the deer. So you go out late at night and you shine the headlights and the deer freezes and then you you shoot him. I mean, and then you just leave the body there. This, this is not sport. This is a quarter step over going and buying venison at Sendex for goodness sakes. But they didn't even want it for the food. So it's not even like you can make the argument, gee, um, yes, we were hunting out of season, but our families were starving and we, we needed the food. No, that's not this. These punks, these I mean, I hesitate to say psychopaths because you don't know, but there's something real wrong here, you know, are driving around just slaughtering animals. And as I said earlier, a couple of people are texting me, what's the difference between one and 40? I, I, I mean, I appreciate that argument. One, at least if there's one, you could say, okay, you know, somebody had the gun in the back and they did this and then they recognized they were wrong and they were sorry for it. But these people went out on multiple nights doing this. They weren't doing this because it was a mistake. They weren't doing this because it was a a momentary thing of fun. They enjoyed slaughtering these animals, and yeah, I think that they need to, you know, held account be held accountable. and, and yeah, I think that means felony time, I think means taking away their right to have firearms moving forward. And yeah, and if this screws up their life, fine. But these people need help, period. They need help because this is not normal behavior. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us, Jeff. Why are you upset about and why are you upset about killing deer in this fashion? Uh, we pay people every day to slaughter animals for no reason. You can't pick and choose which slaughtering is acceptable. None of it's okay. No, I, I I completely and totally disagree with. There is a food chain, and I understand that there's there's people out there that don't pe- think people should eat meat, and that the fact that we raise certain animals for for food for, for consumption, I, I I have no problem with that. I, I don't. Just like I don't have a, a problem with with people, you know, ethical hunters who who go out and you know. Take deer during the the authorized seasons to me that is appropriate that is ethical and, and yes i do think we have a food chain and i understand that there are animals that are raised all the time for slaughter that to me though is different than going out and massacring in this case deer in a field by shining them simply for the thrill the fun of doing it i mean if you're doing it for food Okay, that, that's a different dynamic. But they weren't doing it for food. They were doing it because they enjoyed killing things. It gave them pleasure. And that is sick. That's different than, oh gee, we're, we're raising hogs for slaughter because people like to eat pork chops and people like bacon and things like that. I don't have a problem with that. But again, massacring animals just for sport and for fun in this particular fashion that, to me, not interesting at all. Okay, one of the big stories that's out there today is Bob Dylan, you know, very, very famous musician. Um, Bob Dylan, who is pushing 80 years old, he has decided to sell his entire catalog of songs. This is one of the interesting things about the music business. The, the money really isn't in performing songs because, yeah, okay, so you cut a record and, and you get you get a royalty whenever that record ends up being played. But that's not where the big money is. The big money is in, in what they call the publishing rights, which is if you're the songwriter – you then own that song. So what that means is it's not just every time your performance of it is sold, but it's any time anybody performs that song, you, you get a royalty to that. And so that's where the, the publishing rights are, are so important. There's a lot of, of big time artists over the years who didn't realize that, and they ended up when they signed their first record contract, oh, this is great, we've got this record contract, and they'd sign away what's called their publishing rights for like pennies, 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 pennies on the dollar. And so you'd have these recording companies or these producers, these record companies that would get rich based on the work of people who would actually make very, very little money, and they didn't understand what's going on. So that's why publishing is a big deal. Bob Dylan has kept his catalog. I mean, so he's just signed a deal with Universal Music Publishing that he's going to um, sell copyrights to over 600 songs, a lot of them are probably bad songs, but Blowing in the Wind, The Time They Are Changing, Being on Heaven's Door, Tangled Up in Blue, they're not saying how much money that he's selling it for, but my guess is it's going to be an awful lot, and it kind of tells you that you know Dylan is kind of winding down and decided, time to cash in. Can't fault him for that, but um, it's a huge deal. All right, back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Hey, let me call your attention to uh, some Twitter posts I put out over the last day or so. And you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 Now, if you are a listener, a regular listener, you, you know that I have been getting some criticism from some very, very devoted supporters of president Trump, because I I just, I I don't, this election is over. And I, I think the litigation that's going on and the, the, unwillingness to accept the reality that joe biden is one i I think it's it's sort of destructive and i think encouraging people for example in georgia not to vote in the upcoming senate election because the results are it's all it's all fixed anyways i i think is is a very very bad practice now i will be the first to acknowledge that our elections are not perfect And, and i think it's it's perfectly appropriate for example, the, this case that's going to be working its way through the Wisconsin sp- to uh, the Wisconsin court system, I, I think it's perfectly appropriate for courts to weigh in on whether the unelected Wisconsin election board that's been making various rules, whether or not their interpretation of the law is correct. And, and I think that's, and, and ultimately before the next statewide election in 2022 i have no doubt that we're going to have answers from the supreme court on questions like what does it mean to be you know permanently permanently confined what what does that mean um what does it mean that the practice that Hundreds of thousands of us have been following for the last several elections where we go in to vote early absentee. You know, you vote in person during that two week period and you show up and you provide your photo ID, but you don't fill out a separate request for a ballot. That's been the common practice. But, you know, we're going to get a ruling about whether that's acceptable or whether you have to. Fill out a separate form before you get the ballot. So, I mean, those, those are all fair questions. But my point, and I know it has infuriated some of you, is that I haven't seen any examples of any sort of widespread fraud which would call the results of the election into contest. Contest. And, 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 I mean, there's this anecdotal stuff that's out there. Well, You know, there were people that were going into nursing homes and they were filling out ballots for people with dementia, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if that happened and you have evidence of it, what you need to do is that needs to be referred to local district attorney's offices and it needs to be prosecuted. And again, I I fully agree that we need sort of best practice type of stuff. But the idea that we're going to throw out the results of an election, it's just not going to happen. And I guess I don't think that aspect of the conversation is constructive. Having said that, though, there, there is this irony that's out there, because in the mainstream media and in some political circles with Democrats, it's like, oh, my gosh, th- this it's just terrible that, that President Trump would be fighting this. And, and this is ridiculous that Republicans aren't acknowledging it. But uh, there's a couple interesting stories. And, and one, I sent out a link to this on Twitter. So much for the high rail road. Democrats are outraged that President Trump continues to contest the presidential election, but are apparently fine with trying to steal two seats in Congress from Republicans, and it's really, really interesting because in two very close congressional races, one in upstate New York and one in Iowa, it's the Republican candidates that won. In one case, the Iowa case, it was by like 12 votes. In the New York case, it was like 55 votes, but apparently what's happening is, unwilling to accept those losses, the Democrats are going to the House of Representatives trying to say, you need to pick the winner, you know, ignore the results of the election, you pick the winner. And I've got a link to the story that says that, which again, it is the irony. And I bring this up only because especially if you read the mainstream media that's out there, there there's a supposed like high road. Oh, I can't believe the, these crazy Trump supporters refuse to accept the results of, of the election. Well, you've got Democrats that are doing the same thing in close elections where they think they have the opportunity to overturn the will of the people. Another tweet I sent out today, and it's, it's an interesting column in the Wall Street Journal. I happen to believe, Republican or Democrat, That if you're elected president, you should have great latitude in being able to select your cabinet. And, you know, of course, cabinet officials have to be approved by the Senate. But as a general rule, I think a president whether it's Donald Trump or whether it's Lyndon Johnson or whether it's Bill Clinton or whether it's George Bush, I think a president should have wide latitude in being able to select the people he he works with. And unless you've got evidence that the person is, is a crook or a complete and total wacko merely because you don't agree with their policies or you don't agree with some things you wrote, That that's not, I think, a basis. If I was in the Senate, that wouldn't be a basis for me voting against a president's pick. I think they get the right to pick who they want. Well, there's already a lot of angst and whining, again, in the national media, talking about how, well, you've got Mitch McConnell, who's going to be giving the Obama, the Obama, the Biden appointees a hard time. Really interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal today, and I've got a link to it, um, that, that talks about, you know, all the stuff that Chuck Schumer, who is the Democrat leader in the Senate, did, You know, back in 2016 with with President Trump and the fact that the the idea of trying to stall cabinet picks really, really took hold when, when Donald Trump came in. When you had all these Democrats, particularly the Democratic left, that was aggressively agitating. Apparently, a lot of people—I I, didn't—I forgot this if I ever knew it. You had hundreds of protesters who showed up outside Schumer's house in in Washington, in the middle of the night, screaming that he should resist, resist, resist. Do everything you can to fight Donald Trump. And at that point in time, even though the Democrats didn't have the result, the numbers in the Senate to ultimately stop confirmations, they went on a full lone tirade of doing everything they could to try to delay and bog down the process uh, to deny Donald Trump his cabinet members, the the whole idea of resist. So I bring this up only because whenever you see the stuff in the mainstream media, again, talking about how, oh, this is going to be awful and there's going to be these evil Republicans that are obstructing the, the people that Biden wants in his cabinet. Well, all right. Just so you understand, this is not contrary to what you might believe if you read the editorial pages of the New York Times. This is not something that is unique. And uh, Chuck Schumer raised it to an art form. So and um, what do we always say? Turnabout is fair play. Just saying. OK, when we come back, he doesn't want to wear a mask. It cost him his job. I will explain and we will discuss.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So, very glad to have you with us. All right, here's the deal. The guy's name is Mark Donnelly. And for the last 20 years, he has been, he's a a singer in the Vancouver area. And for the last 20 years, his gig has been, he, one one of his many gigs, is he sings the National Anthem of Canada, that would be O Canada, at Vancouver Canucks Hockey Games. So that that's been that's been his regular gig and he's you know, he he's hired by the by the Vancouver hockey team to come out and sing. Now he does other he performs all sorts of other things in the area. As a matter of fact, one of his big deals is is singing O Canada. So he's hired to sing O Canada at a number of other, you know, events and places and that that's what he does. He shows up and he's in a he he's in a like a tuxedo and all that and you know, he goes out and, and he sings. Okay. He is also one of these guys who is fiercely anti-shutdown you know be, it is because of of covid you know and we we've we've had these discussions you have some people who believe that the country should be locked down you have other people who think that no that's an unnecessary overreaction a restriction on liberty so you've got all these different you know groups that are out there so in any event last saturday a couple days ago there was a rally that was being held, you know, in Vancouver, in downtown Vancouver, um, for people who don't believe in masks. It was kind of like an anti-mask rally. And he, Mark Donnelly, had been asked to sing. At the end of the rally, they had asked him to come and sing Oh Canada and he had agreed to do that and he's expressed his opinion before that he he doesn't think that the country should shut down okay and you can agree with him or you can disagree with him but but that's the deal so he says yeah i'll come out i'll sing o canada at this this rally so what happens is they it, it's getting promoted and mark donnelly the the singer is going to be there and what happens immediately after that is the owner of the Vancouver hockey team sends out a note to the local newspaper and said, okay, Mark Donnelly's going to be singing. Hey, you better change the headline to former Canucks anthem singer. Um, and then, so apparently what happens is they fire him. They, they don't call him up to tell him that they fired him, but they say, look, we we support people wearing masks. You know, we support the lockdowns and things like that. And the fact that this guy who you know, sings the anthems and has for 20 years, decides that he's going to sing at one of these like anti-mask, anti-lockdown rallies. What that means, we, we don't want any part of him, so after 20 years, we're firing him. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I don't know enough about employment laws in Canada to tell you whether or not the guy might have a legal claim or or not. And you know, if this was the United States, typically you're you're I don't even think he's an at-will employee, so they could decide for any reason or no reason not to bring him back. That's my my initial reaction to this. But my question is apart from the legalities. As I often say on this program, even if you have a right to do something, you know, doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. So here you have a guy who, you know, sings the national anthem. He disagrees with the, you know, the lockdown stuff. He's an anti-lockdown guy. Should that cost him his job singing at the hockey games? 855-616-1620. Put another way, even if Canucks management... Has the right to sack him because he's going to be performing at this rally. And, and it's not a question of him, you know, singing outside of the hockey games. He does that all the time. It's just they didn't like the fact that he was showing up at this particular event. 855-616-1620, even if they have a right to do it, is it the right thing to do? And that's what I'm struggling with. What I would call, now this is Canada, not the U.S., uh, the the new McCarthyism, the idea that if if you disagree, even even if you're wrong, you disagree and you do it publicly, that that's going to cost you your job. 855-616-1620. That's the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should they have fired him? We discuss in just a moment.
2: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So to review the bidding here, uh the the guy's name is Mark Donnelly. He is a a, a performer in Vancouver. And one of his regular gigs is that he he sings O Canada before Vancouver hockey games, kind of like uh, during our WTMJ uh, 2021 thing, we had Warren Weegrats on, and Warren Weegrats, he's the leader of Street Life, which is the house band for the Milwaukee Bucks that performs at Fiser. So that's that's kind of the deal. They perform elsewhere as well, and Mark Donnelly performs elsewhere as well. But he sung the national anthem, that would be O Canada, for the last twenty some years. He was unceremoniously fired on Saturday after he agreed that he would go and he would appear at one of these public rallies that were protesting lockdowns and protesting mandatory mask rules. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to perform O Canada there. And he's apparently sympathetic with he's apparently sympathetic with the anti mask and the anti lockdown type of folks. The Vancouver Canucks just made the decision they're going to summarily fire him. After 20 years, apparently nobody even called him up to discuss the issue. They just saw that he was going to be performing at this particular event and, and they canceled him. So now he's, he, he's gone. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Here is my problem with this. Th- this, this is, again, I understand we're talking about Canada, but this is the new McCarthyism. This is, this is the cancel culture run amok. The point that the guy, you know he, he can't. It's not like he's committing a crime, for goodness' sakes. Now, I mean, I understand that he gets caught, you know, in a compromising situation with some sixteen-year-old girl. I understand you fire him. He's been charged with a crime. I understand that if he gets drunk and you know crashes up a car and hurts people, okay, I, I understand. That's it. But that's not what we're doing right now. This is the cancel culture absolutely run amok. The idea that you can't even express an alternative point of view. Now, I'm not, I don't, look, I wear masks. I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with the guy's position, but the idea that you will deny him his livelihood because he he wants to, again, just not stand in line and and not agree with the the popular orthodoxy, that should be scary. And it should be scary to everybody because, like I say, all right, this is, this is the mask thing. All right. But but today it's the mask thing. Tomorrow, who knows what it's going to be. But this idea that, you know, if we disagree with you and your opinion on this particular issue, if you don't buy into the climate change argument, OK, you know, you're then, then you can't perform. We're not going to hire you because you. You don't agree with the, the conventional wisdom on this. I mean, where do you end up drawing the line? This is where you get into the book banning, you get into the censorship. Now, if there was evidence suggesting that the guy's presence singing the national anthem at the Vancouver Games because of his association with this caused people to stay away from the Vancouver hockey games. Okay okay, maybe that's it, but that's not what's going on here. Let's understand what's going on here. Team owners disagree with the political stance the guy took and decided to lash out against him. Jeff, to grossly misquote Star Wars, the cancel culture is strong in this one. Does everything have to result in terminations when people disagree on the the issue? Um, Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. Jeff um this is cancel culture tactics absolutely not no way um that this should happen um Jeff well the same can be said of mask deniers just because you can get away with not wearing a mask in some places doesn't mean you should that that's not and again that that's not the point the point of this conversation isn't should you wear a mask shouldn't you wear a mask the point of this isn't gee you know should you support a massive lockdown of the country of Canada or not support a, a mask uh, a lockdown though, though that's a, a different sort of question what this is is if you disagree with the popular opinion should it cost you your job and that's that should be the scary thing to everybody about this on the left the right and in the center
2: welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj
1: Can you celebrate the holidays with WTMJ this year? Uh, keep in mind, the last several years we've done like the holiday Christmas show, and you know people have come, and it's been one of my favorite things. Well, this is a year unlike any other, and you know no holiday Christmas show—at least performed in person. We, we do have a holiday Christmas play that uh, we're going to be rolling out. Um, I had. I had two lines in it. No, it's 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 different that I had two lines. McCure had three, I think, you know, but it was okay. It's you know, it, it it'll all be fun. But again, it's not that in-person sort of thing. Well, this year we're doing something a little bit different. It's WTMJ's Virtual Holiday Trivia Night benefiting Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland. Don't miss this exclusive chance to Zoom with your favorite WTMJ hosts, hopefully including myself, on Wednesday, December 16th. That would be a week from this Wednesday. Tickets are on sale now. They are extremely inexpensive at WTMJ.com and you better move fast because the of this, there's only room for 80 of our fans and listeners. That's the WTMJ Virtual Holiday Trivia Night benefiting Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland, sponsored by Professional Construction Inc. So go to wtmj.com. They've got the details that are up there. But again, it's it's limited to 80 people on Zoom, and it should be it should be fun. In addition, quick reminder for today: if you want to participate in the Wagner Wish List Contest. Um, you can go to our Facebook page, the WTMJ Facebook page, every day this week and play our kind of Price is Right, Guess the Price game for your chance to win, um, gift certificates from Cedar Crest Ice Cream. Uh, this, the, the event today, it's, it's the Tom and Jerry mix, which is really, really good, and all the trimmings and things like that. Um, go to our Facebook page. You have till two o'clock today. We're doing this different, different items Every day. But today it's the Tom and Jerry mix and all the other trimmings and things like that. Whoever comes closest to the cost of all the ingredients without going over gets the gift certificate. But you go to Facebook.com to do that. And then one final thing. Again, I, I posted a number of things on Twitter. I was referring to a couple of them a minute ago. Um, the, the other one that I posted this morning, it's really interesting because the, the left has the same problem that the right has. The, the problem the right has right at the moment is you have some hardcore people on the right, supporters of President Trump, who are just absolutely convinced that the election was stolen and are are deciding to well, you know, we're we're going to try to muck things up or we're going to try to we're not going to participate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That is a problem, people not participating. On the other hand, on the left, The left has a problem because you've got the you've got the mainstream center left, which is where I believe Joe Biden is. And then you've got the kook fringe. If people want to look and try to figure out why Democrats did not do better in the 2020 election. I mean, they lost multiple seats in the House of Representatives. They thought that they were going to take control of the Senate and i mean right now there's 50 republicans in the senate and there might be 52 after these georgia elections but but the democrats thought this was going to be this huge blue tsunami not just a wave but a tsunami and it didn't happen and so th- there's all this finger pointing we, we we picked up the white house but you know how how did we lose all these other seats and if you look on a state by state level it's even worse republicans have complete control i believe of 31 state legislators legislatures it it was not a democrat year other than again Joe Biden getting elected. And so people are trying to look at this. And and Barack Obama, of all people, Obama has been trying to send a message out there and and one of the things he's been saying aggressively is, hey folks, defund the police doesn't help. It doesn't it's not the message that plays well In most parts of the country, it might sound really good in the Hollywood Hills, where you've got, you know, all these multimillionaire movie stars who have their own private security forces. And it might play really good in on the east side of Manhattan, where, you know, you've got the people that live in the $5 million townhouses and have their own private security and things like that. But, you know, in in average America, defunding the police is not a winning message. And, and that's actually what, what happened. You had a lot of Democrats that were running in mainstream sort of areas who got tagged with the, you know, let, let's get rid of the cops. And so Barack Obama is saying, we need to dial this back. Because to me, that defund the police thing for the left is kind of what the election was stolen, don't participate, it's all crooked, is, is to the right. Anyhow, I have a link to a... a piece an opinion piece in the washington post that just rips obama how dare you how dare you you know suggest that we shouldn't be pushing the re you know the defund the police agenda and um it's just like okay i just thought i would share it because like i say um that the radical left wants to hear none of obama suggesting that maybe we need to be a little bit more moderate here um to which my message would be, just face it, defund the police is just not a winning message. Again, outside of Hollywood and maybe Portland, Oregon and the east side of New York. But, but even Obama can't get through to the crazy lefties, which is one of the real reasons One of the many reasons that it's important that Republicans pick up one or two seats in this Georgia election, because that will be a counterbalance to the AOCs and the squad and all the people pushing for let's do away with private health insurance and nationalize the insurance industry and money, money, money for this and money, money, money for that. Um, that's the Democrat problem. Now, again, they don't. the mainstream media doesn't want to write about that. They'd rather focus on the problem the Republicans have between the sort of stop the steal crowd and everybody else. But um, both parties ha- have their issues with the people on the, the edges. Okay, when we come back, who gets to go to the front of the line? It's going to be an interesting conversation, and I very much want to know what you think. Stick around.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ.
1: Okay, L- let's be honest here. The, the way out of the pandemic is, is through vaccinations. Now, we, we've, you know, we, we've tried lockdowns. That hasn't worked. We encourage people to social distance and wear masks, and yet the numbers are, are going through the roof. And, and again, with, without, without pointing fingers or saying, okay, this is why this isn't working or that isn't working, let's just be honest. Uh, until you get a widely disseminated vaccine, coupled with the people who've had it who've already recovered who have a degree of immunity we're still going to be doing this so the sooner people get vaccinated the better the problem is that the vax it takes it takes a while to produce the, the vac the vaccine and so it's going to be a rollout so what you have to do is you have to figure out who gets it who are prioritized All right I think there is general agreement that the first two groups of people that get the vaccines are, number one, people who work in the healthcare field, because we don't want them getting sick and getting other people sick or getting sick and not being able to work. So people who work in the healthcare field, number one, and 1A would be people who are in what I'm going to say nursing homes, but, you know, the the, the the other assisted care facilities and things like that. Why? Because a disproportionate number of the deaths that have occurred over the last nine months have occurred among people who live in, in nursing homes or these assisted care facilities. Why? Well, because... It's older people, it's people who tend to be more vulnerable, underlying health conditions, and, you know, you, you get it into one of these assisted care facilities and it ends up spreading like wildfire. So I think most people would agree, yeah, it, it's let, let's concentrate on the health care workers and, and then, you know, people who are, again, living in the nursing homes and that those type of things. Okay, what happens next? And, and this is where the debate gets really interesting. And again, the, ultimately, the goal is everybody gets vaccinated, but but they're not going to have it for everybody. So the real argument is, after the people in, in nursing homes slash assisted living facilities and the healthcare workers, who gets it next? And this is where the debate is. One side argues it should be older people, starting with folks who are, say, 65 and older um the argument is it, it's it, it look you know covid can be devastating to people at any age we all know that but again if you look at the statistics it's people who tend to be 65 or older that is an easily identifiable class because not all but, but most of the people 65 years or older are, are, are under Medicare. They're on Medicare. So that the government already knows about them. And I know there's some people over 65 that aren't, but, but you got a huge chunk. So you know who that population is. Government already has people's names and things like that. So the one argument is you focus on the people who are older. And we'll, we'll start at, at 65 with the Medicare thing. The other side of it is, no, what we need to do is we need to um, inoculate uh, the the essential workers which is a, a large group of people as well but essential workers could include the the 25 year old guy or gal who's the checker at the the local grocery store or the stalker or the 35 year old truck driver or whatever because you know they're essential you want to keep them on the job but of course for the essential workers they're especially the ones that are are younger, their likelihood of, of getting COVID and having a really, really bad reaction is less, dramatically less. And look, and I, again, I understand I, I have to keep throwing these caveats because people say, "Oh, don't you know this? Yes, if you're 28 years old, you can get COVID and you can die. I understand that that is a possibility, but that's not the likelihood. The likelihood for most 28-year-olds who get COVID is that you're going to be sick for a little bit and then you're going to get better. That's for most. Um, 68 years old, it might be a different story. 78 year old. it might be a different story. So let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where do we prioritize this? Healthcare workers, people in nursing homes. All right, that, that's, I think, a pretty much a done deal. Do you give it to old? Do you make it available to older people first, starting with the age of, I'm saying 65, or you prioritize it by giving to essential workers and in some cases that could be the 25 year old guy that's stocking shelves at the big box retail store 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line feel free to disagree with me but i think you have to prioritize this among the people who are are most likely to have serious consequences from this and that's why I understand it's it's ageist, but I think you, you start, after you get done with those first two classes, the healthcare workers and the the people in the nursing homes, I think you start with the older patient population. You know, people 65 and older, boom, they're next in line. Then you move to the essential workers, then you move on down the track. 855 616 that's the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. All right, how do we divide this up? Who should get priority? We discuss in just a moment. 855 616 1620. Okay, th- this is going to be the battle um, because the vaccine, there's not going to be enough for everybody to get it at first. So I, I think that the general agreement is that the first batch goes to healthcare workers and um, people who are like in nursing homes and things of like. Then the discussion is do you give it to older people, like people over the age of 65? It, it, the government's got a list of that because not everybody, but most people over sixty-five is registered for Medicare Part A, Part B, both, what, whatever. So you know who that is. Or do you give it to the, the so-called essential workers? Uh You know, the the twenty-five-year-old cashier at Target. To me, I think you, you. I think you give it to older people first, simply because at that point in time, you want to start playing the odds, and protecting the people that are most vulnerable and likely most likely to have a bad outcome. All right, let's talk to Stephanie in Cedarburg. Hi, Stephanie. Hey, how are you? Real well, thank you. What do you think?
2: So, again, I'm actually a nurse in the area, and what we're seeing is what you're saying. It's disproportional to the nursing home, assisted living, long-term care facilities. So right. those definitely have to be people that get it first, but I think the next step after that is all the employees that work there, because these nursing home mm-hmm. patients have been quarantined for almost a year now, yeah. and yet, how are they the ones disproportionately getting sick?
1: I, I guess when I, I guess when I think of. When we, when we talk about like healthcare workers, I guess, and I, I sort of lump the people that are working at the nursing homes in with that. Maybe that's not correct. But yeah, I, I agree with you. If you're, if you're working in the assisted care facility, you need to be vaccinated too, because it doesn't do much good if you're bringing it into the place. So I would agree with that. Where do you go after that, and the lo- Where do you go after that? Do I mean, you go the with the, the
2: people that are working in the hospital, we have the equipment for the majority. We have the PPE. We have the stuff to keep us safe. We're taking precautions. I think after that, you're right, it's the 65. And then after that, I don't think it's necessarily essential workers because I don't think they're jumping the gun to do it. It's going to be those immunocompromised. It's going to be... The young, the middle, the old—that are terrified of getting this—that realistically could die of it.
1: That have the under so people I mean, that no, have the underlying health consequences. The the forty-five-year-old drivers yeah. and stuff like that. Interesting. Thanks for well, th- these are going to be the decisions, Jeff. I think um, you give it to the essentials. Old people. Th- this is the text. Don't. Then this is the text. The uh, quote, the essentials, old people can stay home, but younger people must work and are spreading the virus. Um, if you want to lop off the head of it, what you need to do is go after the youngers. Um, Jeff, the term essential worker means almost nothing. This needs to be th- more thought out definition before we make these decisions. Um, Jeff, uh, they should require anyone wanting the vaccine to prove they are up to date with their other vaccinations. OK, um, Jeff, um, let's see. Heard one state is doctors and nurses, then older people, eighty plus years first. Well, I mean, I think, eh, I, I, you know, I mean, I guess, do you do you say eighty plus, and then seventy, and then sixty? Again, I continue to believe you got to do it on the age because you you I think you have to. At some point in time, you have to start looking at outcomes, and I guess that's how I look at it. And and, and I would I would say okay, let, let's start with people 65 and older, and then I, I mean I kind of like what Stephanie's talking about the idea of if you've got people that are particularly at high risk, the 45-year-old breast cancer survivor or something, maybe uh, you squeeze them ahead of the 50-year-old guy who's otherwise healthy, who's the quote-unquote essential worker because he drives the trucks. I'm not trying to diss essential workers. I'm just saying you have to have – it's essentially triage, and you have to figure out what the fair priority is. And for me, the driving thing would be, again – The worst set of outcomes, you know, your typical 24 year old, if they get it, are on average, are they going to be worse off than your 74 year old that gets it? And typically the answer is going to be no. Let's talk to uh, Bob in Waukesha. Hi, Bob. Good
4: afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Merry Uh, Christmas.
1: Merry Christmas to you a little bit in advance, but Merry Christmas. What do you think?
4: I, you know, this is this term "essential workers" is just so broad based. I, I, I drive for a large automotive group here in the Milwaukee area, and and I'm considered an essential yeah. worker.
5: And and, and I, I haven't
4: yet heard, and I, I'm I'm sure you have, but I, I haven't yet heard first responders, firefighters, yeah. policemen Yes, uh, I think they should be right up there with healthcare workers. Yeah. I, that's just how I feel. And God bless all that gave all.
1: Yeah. No. Oh yeah. Matter of fact, we're going to be talking about that in the next hour of the program. Yeah, I guess. And, and I think that's a fair comment about healthcare. I guess, see when, when I think of first responders like EMTs and things like that, I, I, I think, I guess I'd lump that into the broad area of healthcare workers. Um, you know, the, I mean, cause to me, an EMT, EMT is a healthcare worker, but yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. It's, It's the people on the front lines of fighting the virus, number one. And then I I think it's the people in the nursing homes. And then, again, I I would... I would go with the, the elderly. And as I get closer to 65, I hate using that term, but I but I mean, but that that's it. And you have to have some sort of arbitrary cutoff. But yeah, I, I would say, you know, you, you do the rollout and maybe you start with people who are 75 and older, and then you go down to people who are 65 and older. Like I say, it's easier to do because through Medicare, you, you know who those people are, and then you start branching out more and more. But th- it's going to be a it's going to be a, a contested thing because, I mean, you know, whenever we try to prioritize who gets particular medical services or whatever, you always get these arguments about, oh, is this a death panel or are we putting this person out on an iceberg and sending them out? You do have limited amount and you're going to have to prioritize. That's what triage is all about. But I'd go with older people over essential, over younger, otherwise healthy essential workers and then work our way down the list. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner,
0: live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: We'll probably do it as a topic tomorrow, but I guess what really caught my attention during Melissa's newscast was that the CDC, if I heard her right, recommending that the people this holiday season not shop in stores. Huh. Um. Man, you. First of all, and, and I'll, I'll articulate why I think that. I mean, I, I understand. See, there's a there's a big problem. There's a big story in the Los Angeles Times about this, about how there's this kind of disconnect between some of the the public policy people and the the people in reality that, that do stuff. And I mean, I'm just I'm sitting here thinking if, if you're really telling people this holiday season, don't go into stores. That's, that's pretty dramatic. Plus, it also guarantees that people aren't going to follow your advice because I just don't, people aren't going to stop going into stores. Now, you might want to encourage people, right, be responsible about how you do this, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll probably discuss that in greater detail tomorrow. But the whole idea as we try to get through this until we get a vaccine, You've got to figure out what that balancing is. And, and we've learned that lockdowns don't work. That, that's just, I think, very, very clear. You know, we've had parts of this country that have essentially been locked down since last summer, and the numbers are spiking all over. And you also have all the consequences, the, the business consequences. So, I mean, telling people, don't shop at stores over Christmas time, you know, buy everything online. Uh, I just, to me, my, my sense is a lot of people are just going to roll their eyes and say, you, that's not what we're going to do. You need to find world solutions that real people will end up following. Okay, today is December 7th, 2020. So 79 years ago today was the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor that, Launched the U.S.'s involvement in World War II. Now, the U.S. had been helping, for example, Great Britain fight off the Nazis, but but after we had the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941, that that launched us into World War II. I always, um, I always just just think of how th- this must have been. Now, obviously, that was way before my time. I mean, I remember. My dad told me he tried to join up when he was like, my dad would have been like 14 or something like that. And he said he went down and tried to join up, but that, you know, but they weren't taking 14 year olds at the time, you know, but I mean, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of people, um, a lot of young men in particular who lied about their age and probably got in as maybe not 14 year olds, but 16 year olds or 17 year olds or whatever. And then if you look at the, the history of World War Two, and this is what I'm about to say, is in no way, shape, or form to downplay the, the sacrifices that that people, you know, have, have made participating in foreign wars or in the military. But it, it was a different time back then. I mean you you know we you, you didn't have the, the long distance telephone service, you didn't have emails, you didn't have the the video conferencing. I mean you you had people that, that went away in nineteen forty two, went to the military and and didn't other than the, the letter that, that you wrote and maybe it got delivered three months later, four months later, six months later, you you didn't have any contact at all with your loved ones and your family and people. People back home for a few years I mean and then I mean the sacrifice of the greatest generation just absolutely unbelievable and whenever I think about World War II I think about my two very good friends John and Jim who both passed away a couple years ago but um, they were medics they were D-Day plus three and you know the they didn't like to talk a lot about the experience but um, because I'm nosy and I'm curious and we were friends I I could pull some of those stories out of them but just it, it just it's for people who grew up in the era that I grew up with, and certainly for people who grew up after that, that the sacrifices of the people who participated in World War II um, absolutely unreal. All right, like I say, I wasn't around on December 7th, 1941, and my guess is, you know, unfortunately, because it was so long ago, you know, people who were, were were losing more and more of that generation every day. But I, I have to believe that, that would have been for people who were alive that day when you heard the the news about where you, you everybody that was alive that day remembers where they were when they heard about the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Now, in my lifetime, I think there have been two events that, that might be similar where everybody. Everybody who was alive in November of 1963, I believe, remembers where you were when you heard that President Kennedy had been assassinated. I was in first grade in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, And and I I remember the teacher coming into the classroom and they sent everybody home. And I I remember the, the weekend where they were doing the funeral service and stuff. I remember the JFK assassination. And I, of course, as I'm sure you probably do, you know, vividly remember where you were on September 11th, 2001. Um, you know, and of course, we're, we're, we're now getting to a point where, you know, if you were five on September 11th, you know, 2001, you know, now, you know, it's 15 years later. Now you're 20, but maybe you don't remember what that was like. And certainly if you were, you know, younger than that, it, it's something you read about in the history books or see on TV. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the ACINET Mortgage talk and text line. Think back on your lifetime. What is in your mind? What is the, the, the one date that affected the nation and the world? I'm not talking about the day, you know, you, you had your, your child or whatever like that. But I mean, was it the Kennedy assassination? Was it, was it Pearl Harbor? Was it September 11th? That, that date that for you, Will be well if President Roosevelt said December seventh, nineteen forty one, a day that will live in infamy. I think you can make the same argument about September eleventh, two thousand one. Um what what is that seminal date that you think back on your lifetime? Is it nine one one? Is it the Kennedy assassination? Is it World is it Pearl Harbor? Is it something else? Eight five five six one six one six twenty we discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: I just went to pajama.com, looked at some of those midnight fantasy pajamas, red, black, I like them. Very, very nice. Great gift. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 79 years ago today, um, December 7th, 1941, the attack on Pearl Harbor. For me, I mean, before my time, but, uh, the, the Kennedy assassination, 9-11, and my guess is for people who were alive on, when Pearl Harbor, the attack occurred, those are, are to me like the three seminal dates that everybody remembers what do you think? 855 616 1620. Let's start with Mike in Menominee Falls. Hi, Mike.
3: Hi, how are you doing today? Thanks for my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm much, li- much like you. It's the uh, John Kennedy assassination. I remember I was in fourth grade at the time out in McQuonico. Um My teacher was Mrs. Johnson, and it was just, it was like right around noontime, and uh, it greatly yeah. affected her. I mean, she just really started bawling and that sort of thing, and. Uh, Yeah, uh, too, I remember on Sunday, Oswald getting shot.
1: Oh, that following, right, that following Sunday. No, thanks for calling. I mean, to that extent, let let me just give you a little tip. If if you're ever in Dallas and and you have a chance to go to the the book store, the the book depository where Oswald shot President Kennedy from, do it. I, I just, just do it. We went there, my buddy Evan and I, we were at the Dallas Super Bowl in, what, 2010, 2011, and we went down there and spent a few hours. I could have spent a couple of days there. It's it's just, it's it's incredible, and I, I, if you're a student of American history, I encourage you doing that. Let's talk to Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're on WTMJ, good afternoon. Hi,
4: Jeff. I think, without a doubt, it was the Kennedy assassination. I was in eighth grade at the time. That was in November of 63, in the summer of 1964, you have the three civil rights workers who were killed by the Ku Klux Klan in Mississippi. They were down there to register voters. You had the Vietnam War escalate and all the related protests. Um, you had um, mm-hmm. the uh, the civil civil rights era and uh in 1968 you have the assassination of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy in April yeah or, and Bobby Kennedy in in, in June I, I I call the Kennedy assassination the the day the era of innocence ended
1: yeah you know I mean th- you know it's interesting the the, the 60s were just th- this incredible time of, of social upheaval probably that that span of time from november of 1963 the kennedy assassination through well i mean I, I guess you you could extend it out if you wanted to through you know 1974 and, and nixon's resignation from watergate that that 10 or 11 year period when when you talk about eventful things all the things you're talking about the the assassination of dr king and of bobby kennedy and the the civil The unrest, the civil justice issues and stuff, and of course that—that's all playing out under the backlog of under the the the, the Vietnam War that was going on, and then you you march into Watergate. That was an incredible ten years in American history, and I don't when I say incredible, I don't mean incredibly good. I mean just an incredible, you know, 10 or 11 years. All right, but when, when we think about this, it's Pearl Harbor, and so we're, we're remembering Pearl Harbor, of course, but for a lot of us, all, all for most of us, all we know about Pearl Harbor was what we read in the various history books, but there are seminal events in all our lives that we share commonly. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Scott in South Milwaukee. Scott, good afternoon. Good
4: afternoon, Jeff. Um, the The day that I will always remember is the day when the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded, whatever, shortly after after liftoff. Mm-hmm. I remember I was in fifth grade and we were in um we were we were in the library. We were in the library, or whatever, then everybody everybody started gathering whatever on the TV, whatever, to watch the right. whatever to watch the launch. And then it goes up and then shortly thereafter whatever you just saw the the big explosion and you knew that it wasn't and right. Everybody knew that something wasn't right because well because that was a mission when they had the teacher right whatever on the flight whatever and there was going to be a science lesson whatever right. was given from space and everyone was excited about that that occurring so yeah that was a day that
1: yeah you know, that that was eighty six right eighty six I think is the year that that yeah. happened yeah yeah no no th- th- no thanks there, there's no question about it that that's uh, particularly I think for people who were born. After the, the Kennedy assassination, that would be it. You remember distinctly where you were in the Challenger thing, and you're you're exactly right. They were, you know. Now I I was out of school and stuff by then. I was you know well on the way to my law career, but you know you, you had people were gathered around the classrooms and stuff and everybody was watching this on live television which is you know what really you know hits home or that here you have this explosion there let's talk to uh let's see we've got uh, brenton in waukesha you're on wtmj good afternoon
6: good afternoon sir thanks nice for uh, taking my call thank
1: you for calling sir
6: so i was um in 2001 we were doing linen change i used to, i was in the military and retired at this time but well, we doing a learning change and uh we hear it on the news that the first plane flew into the first tower. Uh, so I rushed home and got my coffee and everything and me and my wife sitting there getting our coffee and next thing we know we see the second plane right. uh, flying into the second tower and it's like, Oh my god, I rushed back to work, where my train eagles at? And I mean like, look y- y'all better take this training seriously, we're about to go to war.
1: <laughs> so how what 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 branch of the military were you in when this happened?
6: Uh, united states Army
1: okay right right did you end up did you end up getting deployed did you end up getting set overseas at all
6: uh not at that time but uh i was a drill sergeant at the time on on the trail i just started uh but afterwards i've been to the i four s four you know all, right. Iraq all that afterwards oh but uh yes man that, that was probably one of the most i wouldn't call it interesting but but you know uh shocking uh, uh <laughs> Shocking, right. There you go. (laughs) That's it. Life-changing moment.
1: Uh, It is. Well, thanks. thanks. First of all, thank you for your service and for all you do. And, yeah, I I can imagine. I mean, I I can imagine. And, you know, one of the things, and and people, we we talk about this when when we do our tributes to September 11th. People are already starting to forget, I, I think. Uh, again, about how the country came together, and 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 the wave of enlistments, for example, you know, people recognizing that America had been attacked. We we got sloppy. We we did not think that we could be attacked on on our our soil, and we we learned that you well know, we we could. Let's talk to uh, Kathleen in Glendale in uh, Greendale. Kathleen, good afternoon.
5: Good afternoon. I i my memory. I'm 90 years old. And I know I've lived through a lot of of things that happened to the country, but the biggest thing that stays in my mind was Pearl Harbor. Um, We were driving down the outer drive in Chicago to see my grandmother in the hospital, and my dad. we had the radio on in the car, and my dad was crying, and he kept saying my war was supposed to be the last war, the Mm -hmm. war of all wars. And we didn't, I did not understand what Pearl Harbor was, never heard of it. I had just turned 11 and my brother and I were goofing around in the back seat. And to this day, I remember where we were. I remember the smoke shanties along the outer drive, Navy Pier. And I, when we were talking about this, it brought it all back to and my father was devastated. So. Ka- that is my story.
1: Ka- Kathleen, do you remember what it was like to be a teenager, essentially growing up during World War II and, and all the oh, different... Oh, yeah. Okay. Just the the oh, different yeah. s- sacrifices and shortages and all those things, huh?
5: Oh, the shoes. We The, the shoemaker uh, in Winnetia had tons of business because we could not buy shoes, so we always had to have them repaired. Um, my mother had... Uh, food stamps, and we'd go to the store or to the meat market, and she would tear off the stamps and do whatever. She always brought her pan or her can of grease that she had used for cooking. They saved it, and I think, they t- if I'm not mistaken, it was used for ammunition, but that, uh, that <laughs> might not be true. But I remember the clothing problem. I remember the people, the beggars coming along, and this was rather an influence uh, Affluent area, and uh, the beggars coming to the door and wanting food. It was, you know, around the time of the depression. Also, although the depression had pretty much eased up, but yes, I do remember a lot of things.
1: Kathleen, have you told these stories to anyone? You you see, this this is the. I suppose. You, 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 you. you, Got to find people, whether it's your your kids or your grandkids or whatever. You got to tell these stories so so people can remember them and remember. pass them on. You got to do right, that, right? So, right. Okay.
5: And I know the wars, all the other wars I've been through, all of those, and all the sacrifices, and even now the pandemic and. Um, I'm in an independent living um, facility and we're kind of like locked down. And it really is not that bad for me because I remember all the things I had been through. Holy gas (laughs) rafferty. And we walked and we walked and we walked (laughs) because my father would not take the car out. And it was a different time.
1: you you have you have lived in interesting times, Kathleen. It's certainly between you know starting out with Pearl Harbor and then through the computer age right. and all this stuff. Kathleen, tell tell your stories to people; they're they're important. And thanks for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. What what a great call. I mean, what and, and the reason I said this is because we're. we're we're, we're losing people like Kathleen. I mean, she, she's 90 years old. We're losing people like Kathleen, and it's that kind of institutional memory. And it's not just, oh, gee, I, I mean, how cool is that? I remember... Where we were, we were driving to Chicago to visit my grandmother, who was in the the um, who was in the hospital. But then it's that that whole World War II experience. Now she didn't serve overseas, but in being a teenager, growing up, and and the shortages and all those different types of things, we're losing that institutional memory, and that's why those stories are so important. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.